we are going to deal with something uh, today that I think provides us with a little more nuance, a little more understanding of what it truly means to love our neighbor as ourself. Um, I, think, I think this is true, so I want to I kind of get a gauge, get a pulse of the room here in a second, um, or at this point. Um, I think when we think of loving our neighbor as ourself, we, we do one of two things, and you can confirm this or reject this if, if this is not true for you. I think one thing that we do is that we, uh, we like to keep it vague so we can do what we want to do and pretend we're loving our neighbor, okay? We keep it vague. What does loving my neighbor mean? It means whatever I want it to mean. It's great, right? How does loving my neighbor work? Well, I just make sure not to tell them off when they're over the fence, right? <laughs> I'm loving them by keeping quiet or something like this, right? And then I think, I think the opposite of that, or I think another uh, coin maybe that we deal with, is when it comes to loving our neighbor as ourselves, um, we remove ourselves from it. We don't take it to its full conclusion. We forget that passage that says, love them as you love you, and there's a lot that goes with that, right? There's a lot that goes with loving people the way you love you. I've shared this a thousand times, if I've said it once, and that is, we love ourselves mighty fine. We really do. E even when you're depressed, even when you're filled with anxiety and fear and all of those things, the truth is, you love you, and you take care of you, okay? Um, but how do we love, and this is pre-understood according to the Bible. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, James doesn't say, love your neighbor as yourself, but first learn to love yourself, right? That's not a disclaimer in the Bible. The truth is we take care of ourselves. That's what we do. Um, but we're supposed to love people. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we either define that any way we want to or we leave off the level to which we're supposed to love them, which is even to the depths of ourselves. Um, so today, we're going to explore this in a far more uh, specific way, and it really is going to be uh, hard, <laughs> I think, when you see what James actually says about this amazing truth. So starting at verse 1 of James 2, 1, verses 13, 1 through 13, these are the words of God. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, do not, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. It is, not the rich who, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilled, uh, fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, 
also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So if we look back at the beginning of this, we're just going to walk through it verse by verse. And we're going to see exactly what James is aiming at here. He has, a, he has an agenda. He has a goal. Um, and sometimes we can miss it because we get hung up on uh, big sins, right? He talks about adultery and murder in this section. And we might look at that and go, what's, what's that have to do with this? Or why does he jump there? He jumps there as a, as a way of illustration, but what he puts on par with these two quote-unquote great sins that we, uh, we know of, um, what he puts on par with this is actually our inability to love our neighbor as ourselves. He actually puts on par with those two things our uh, normal way of doing things, which is to show partiality to some and to pick the good people, quote-unquote good people, in our world, and leave off the less than. And so he tells us that this is actually a sign that we're not showing mercy, and what we're going to end with is this really hard statement that James makes, which is that God, too, will be merciless to those who show no mercy. And that's very staggering. So starting at verse 1, here's what he says. My brethren, uh, who's he talking to? Us. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to anybody, right? My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Now, there is a very specific thing that gets aimed at here in personal favoritism. He's going to give us an example of personal favoritism of the poor versus the rich. That is a very real truth, but James actually allows us uh, a lot of room when it comes to favoritism here. He actually says that I'm telling you that you can't show favoritism with respect to your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? Because what James is actually getting at is what we talked about on Easter Sunday. And that is that God's provision is for all people everywhere. Did you know that? God's provision is for all people everywhere, and what he does to call them to that uh, life in him is he calls everyone, no respecter of persons, doesn't care uh, what your race, creed, or color is, doesn't care your background, doesn't care if you're Jew or Gentile, those with God and those without God in the world. He is calling everyone to him, and the only thing that we have to do trust him that's it it's amazing now will trust carry out in holiness will trust follow through with actions that please god i'm waiting yes it will okay it will trust will lead to us walking out obedience before god but what we're dealing with here is this idea that god doesn't show favoritism now i'm gonna i'm gonna put you in, uh, I'm going to take you to a couple of passages here. The first one would be Romans chapter 2 verse 11. Uh, Romans is one of the most uh, commonly quoted and misquoted and misunderstood books of the Bible with regard to the doctrines of salvation. But in Romans 2.11, we hear this amazing line, for there is no partiality with God. There is no partiality with God. 
God, unlike what James warns the people of his day about, God doesn't pick the rich guy and leave off the poor guy. God doesn't pick the Jew and leave off the Gentile. As a matter of fact, the rest of Romans goes on to communicate, Romans 9, 10, and 11, a problem inside of Jewish uh, minds. And that problem was that they believed that God should save them and them alone. Why? Well, they were the chosen people of God. But what did they forget when it comes to the full story of God? They were chosen. How many of you know the Bible uses the term elect? right? They were chosen, they were elect, but this is something you might not know. The term chosen, the term elect, is always and only used in reference to service and never unto salvation. I'd love to have that conversation with you if you you don't understand it. What it is, the Jewish people were the elect, the chosen of God. And what were they elect or chosen for? To bring the message of the seed of Abraham to the world. What was that message? That through Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. That's a pretty awesome message, right? But guess what they failed to do? Preach the message, (laughs) right? Okay, that message was delivered to Abraham. Galatians tells us that God actually communicated the gospel to Abraham. That message transcended Abraham. It went to people like Jonah. I shared this on Easter Sunday. What did Jonah do? Jonah knew God was gracious. Jonah knew God was loving and kind. Jonah didn't like it, and so he ran. (laughs) How many of you do that? How many of you do that? Now, how many of you, let's be honest, how many of you do that not because you actually don't think God loves everybody, you actually run because you feel like you're going to put your foot in your mouth, or you feel like people are going to not understand the gospel you communicate? Be honest with me. Yeah, most of you are actually not Jonah's, right? Did you know that? You don't hate the world. You want them to come to saving faith. The issue is you just don't know how to say it. Well, guess what? That's most of us. And that's even the professional Christian's problem at times, right? So it's a challenge. But the idea is that God doesn't show partiality. And in Romans, uh, Paul communicates this idea that God is wanting to save absolutely everyone. But the problem is the Jewish people forgot their job. And so we fast forward in today's arguments and today's debates, and we have all of these issues on whether or not God's going to save all or save some. I'm telling you that God is willing to save all. He is willing to save all. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35 says this, opening his mouth, Peter said, now I'm going to give you the context of this in just a second, but opening his mouth, as Peter always does, uh, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right, read it with me, church, is welcome to him. Do you know who is welcome to God? All. Everyone who fears him and everyone who uh, does what is right. Well, Nathan, that sounds like it's works that get you there. No, no, no. Uh, The idea is when you put your uh, believing loyalty, when you put trust in King Jesus, there is something that fundamentally changes in your heart. It's called uh, affection. (laughs) And your affection becomes for him, and it becomes for his things and his commands and his ways, amen? And so you want to do what is pleasing to him. Um, 
Of course, I raise four girls all the time. And I joke about swimming in estrogen all the time. And, and it's true. It's frustrating because I'm harsh. <laughs> anyway, so I'm, um, I'm, I'm harsh. And when my girls cry, I often just think it's irrational. Because it is. <laughs> right? Is it not, Shelby? Yes, it's irrational. So, okay, so, so our kids cry, boy or girl, but mine just cry a lot, right? And they don't cry a lot because of us, right? Anyways, just don't get what you want. Judge me. Fine, judge me. Anyway, so they cry, and my gut reaction is, what is wrong with you, right? That doesn't help. Anyway, just, just some parenting advice there, right? But my daughters don't disobey me. Here's the connection of what I'm trying to get at. My, God, my daughters don't disobey me because they just love sticking it to dad. Right? You know what my daughters actually want to do? They want to please me deeply. All the time. Sam will go in the other room. She'll get something for me and just bring it to me. I figured you wanted this. Right? Do you know that that's actually... Um, that's actually the disposition of the far majority of Christians that I've met. Their disposition is, I deeply want to please God, but I shared this a couple of weeks ago. Most of the time they go, I have no clue how, right? So today we're actually going to zoom in to how when it comes to partiality, when it comes to loving our neighbor as ourselves. But let's give you a warning. When we learn how, we're accountable. Hmm. Yes, that was perfect. Somebody over here said, I don't want to know. And Ben, and Ben Bird plugged his ears. So I'm just going to go ahead and start. I'm going to start doing this with sermons. I'm going to do this. I'm going to break at the midpoint, the beginning point of the sermon and say, anybody who wants to leave can leave now. <laughs> okay, now you're accountable, okay? So here's what happens. So the, the context of Acts chapter 10, right, of God wanting to save all, is the same context of Romans 9, 10, and 11. It's the same problem that Paul dealt with. And that was that God had gone to the Gentiles to redeem them. And all of a sudden people were like, mm, we don't want those people in here, right? When we planted the church, Bettina came to the church uh, before Jerry did, right? He was our neighbor across the street, and he's a, he's a very good neighbor. Um, Bettina, not so much. No, anyway, so <laughs> Bettina, listen, I'm about to throw him under the bus, so don't worry. But anyway, so, so Bettina came to the church, and, and then Jerry uh, came one Easter Sunday, right? And you've been here ever since, isn't that right? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's missed a couple of days because he got mad at me, but so does everybody. But anyway, so, so but, um, but, uh, Bettina came, and then Jerry said he wanted to come. And my first reaction was, I don't want that kind of people in my church. No, it wasn't my reaction. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't even know why you even for a second believe that garbage. Anyway, so, but Jerry and I refer to ourselves as uh, uh, redeemed heathens, right? Redeemed heathens, because that's exactly what we are. You see, uh, Bettina can come to church, and she's always dressed nice and looking pretty and everything. Jerry comes in, he's like, what you see is what you get, deal with it, right? <laughs> and yet, and yet, they both deeply want to please God. They, they want to love him. They want to honor him. They want to serve him with everything they have, right? Uh, the challenge is they need to know how. And guess what? Even within a family, the context of how you serve God changes. Jerry works in a, in a 
an environment that is, um, well, let's just say crass, right? <laughs> Wouldn't you say that, Jerry? And so how does he love the Lord his God, maintain his testimony, right? Love the Lord his God, maintain his testimony, and yet not feel like a sore thumb, not stick out like a sore thumb. How does he do that? Well, that's his context. He needs to understand how to do that. And then Bettina does uh, in her context. She needs to understand that too. Uh, the point that I'm getting at in all of this is that we are, we're all wanting to please God. My daughters want to. I believe that you want to. Uh, the challenge is how do we do this? And we're going to start really picking at how we actually do it. And the way we see it in James is to not show partiality. Whether you encounter a Jerry or a Bettina, both want to please the Lord, so you love them. You give them everything you've got. You stand beside them. You walk beside them. You, you honor them, and you hope that they honor you. So uh, God shows no partiality. What does that mean? That means that God is willing to save all. What does Acts tell us? Anyone who fears him and does what is right. This uh, indicates that, number one, we can, in our sinful condition, we can fear the Lord, and we can choose to do what is right. Same thing with Cain and Abel, right? Cain could have chosen not to kill his brother. <laughs> Too bad he didn't. Anyway, so we can choose what is right. Um, so let's keep going in James. Verse 2. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, uh, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, sit here in a good place, Notice the difference, right? And you say to the poor man, well, you stand over there, you sit down at my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? So here's where it starts to get really hard. It's easy to judge certain things by the cover, right? Uh, anybody, you know, you've all heard the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover. Um, you can judge the cover of a book by its cover, right? You can, it's, that's a nice cover. That's a poor cover, right? But the contents of that book is what we really have to get ourselves onto um, or into. We have to figure that out. Um, you're, you're discovering something by looking at people, uh, usually by telltale signs, and you say, well, I like that person, I don't like that person. This can come in, in ways of people are just dirty or they're clean, Right? That's, that happens. People are pretty or they're not so much, okay, right? So, so these things happen and people play favorites. But this goes way beyond this. In the church today, especially in America as we know it, there's a lot of mental illness that is happening in our culture. And there are a lot of people who play favorites with regard to mental illness, right? They look at people, they see some sort of difference, and they judge and they kind of hold them off at arm's length. Now, I'm not telling you you don't need to have some sort of healthy boundaries, people who tax you or something like that, but if you're avoiding negative people, you still have a problem, right? You have, you have a big issue. But we do this with special needs. We do this, um, we do this definitely with wealth. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I refuse to know what people give in this church. I refuse to know what you give. I don't, wa I don't want you to tell me either right? You're not going to get brownie points from me. I'm still going to be just as gruff with you as I am with everybody else, right? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you the same way. And the reason why I don't want that is because I actually know my heart. I actually know my heart. My heart would say, ah, be careful about offending them. Why? 
Well, if they leave, there goes my salary, <laughs> right? You would think I would actually think about that with the things that I preach, but I don't. <laughs> anyway, so, um, but, the, but the idea is you, you, you tend to, nobody got that joke. It's just unbelievable. My mom's back there going, Psh, huh? yes, I know, you know. Well, Barney has talked to me about it, but anyway, anyway. <laughs> so he hasn't. I'm just teasing you. Anyway, so, so the idea here, the idea here is that we play favorites in many different ways. In James's day, it was just very clear. It was obvious. That guy has a gold ring. It's not common, right? Guys walking in with a gold ring. What are you, you going to do? You're going to play favorites. You're going to think you're in with that person. You're going to get somewhere with that person. This is not healthy. But what he says about this, uh, this judgment is the really scare things, scary thing. He said, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? You're judging people with evil motives. Just because you show partiality. Just because you don't want to talk to that guy because he kind of weirds you out. Just because you want to, don't want to talk to that girl because, well, she's not as in the know, maybe, as you are, right? This is, this is dangerous, church. And James really hits us hard with the truth of what this is. So verse 5 goes on. It says, listen, my beloved brethren, do, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? How many of you, um, how many of you have grown up in the church believing that God actually tells us to show favor to the poor, you're wrong. Oops. You're wrong. Does God say to love the poor? Yes. Does God say to care for the poor? Yes. There are multiple Bible passages that says, do not show partiality to the poor. Not in your judgment. Not in your giving. Why? Because you're not supposed to show partiality to anybody. Period. What you're supposed to do is judge rightly. So what is James's problem? You're judging wrongly. I judge wrongly all the time, okay? I judge based on outside appearances or personal preferences, but we're not supposed to do this. So if that's true, Nathan, what in the world is, is this talking about? God chose the poor of this world to be rich. Well, the answer is right now. The answer is in the next few words. Rich in what? Faith. The poor, the dejected, the disenfranchised, those people that have been completely put on the outs in life, God says, watch this, I'll save them and show you. He does the same thing uh, monetarily. If he, if he confounds the rich by loving the poor, okay. He's still not showing favoritism. And here's why. Because the offer still extends to the rich and to the poor. Right? Right? It doesn't say it's impossible for a, a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's very difficult. Why is it very difficult? Because that stuff gets in the way. It gets in all of our ways. Okay? So what is, what is James actually getting to? God actually saves the least of these to prove something about himself. And that he is, he is generous to all. He doesn't show favoritism like you do. He's not looking for that three-piece suit. He's not looking for that big pocketbook. What he's looking for is people who will fear him and who will obey him. Amen? That's an amazing idea. 
So verse 6 goes on. It says, but you have dishonored the poor man. It is, not the, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? This may have been a very clear truth in James's day. Do rich people always drag us into court? Not necessarily. Maybe they will. But the point is, this is not an absolute statement. This is not a, you know what the problem with all rich people are. <laughs> right? You know why this is too? Because rich is a spectrum. Rich is a very big spectrum. I am absolutely beyond rich compared to many people in the world. Am I not? Uh, is my motive to oppress them? <laughs> to sue them? To... No, it's not like it's the furthest thing from my mind. What we often do with our biblical interpretation is we only interpret it through our worldview. We jam it right into our little world and we go, oh, it must mean. No, you got to think a little bit beyond yourself. You got to think a little bit beyond yourself. So verse six, the rich are the ones who oppress you. They personally drag you into court. Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? What Paul or what James is actually zeroing in on are people who don't trust God at all, but trust their own wealth, their own things. And those people blaspheme God's name all the time. And they will hurt you because they don't care about you, okay? So let's keep, but God will still love them and offer grace to them and extend his mercy to them. Verse seven, they blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called. You notice he makes the distinction. They blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called. There's a distinction in these people, those without faith and those with faith. Verse eight, if how you are fulfilling the law according to the scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself you are doing well so right off the bat what does loving our neighbor as ourself actually mean here talk to me take care of them lay down your life deny yourself these may all be implications of this text, but what does the text say? Don't show favoritism. You want to love your neighbor as yourself, don't show favoritism. You're not allowed. <laughs> uh, what? You're not allowed? I want to. I don't like that person. Tough. You love them. And you love them the same. And you don't just love them the same as the other guy you love. You love them the same way you love you. Well, this is dumb. <laughs> I'm just closing my Bible. I'm going to move on from this because I want to do something else. Tough, tough. It's not what we're called to do. So the text might imply other things like lay down your life because you would probably lay down your life for yourself, wouldn't you? <laughs> right? I'd take a bullet for me. I'll be dead anyway, but, <laughs> right? but the point is, is that I will protect me, I will care for me, I will, I will do all those things, but I need to do this for Jonathan Daniels, right? I will too, right? I, I want to know who's shooting at you though first. <laughs> is it your brother? Because Bobby just pointed at him. <laughs> this is true, but anyway, whatever, okay. Have good days and bad days sometimes. Anyway, okay. Love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as 
transgressor. So here's, the, here's where we take the turn. The next turn is that we are obsessed with ranking sin. Okay, we're obsessed with ranking sin. We had a great conversation about this with our men's breakfast just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we, talk, we rank sin all the time, and we view uh, two sins to be like top, top-notch sins, right? And James talks about them. Adultery and murder, right? We put these sins way up here. Um, the problem, though, is this is a true statement, and you need to understand it. Sin is sin is sin, okay? But before you go panicking about people who say there is no ranking in sin it's all the same if you tell a little white lie it's the same as Adolf Hitler committing a holocaust right Uh, calm down first and realize this although all sins are equal ramifications from all sins are not right if you murder somebody the ramification of that sin is bad (laughs) right no longer the person that you just killed okay you tell a little white lie there's a chance that nobody's ever going to know, right? I didn't look at Jacob for any reason there. <laughs> anyway, so, but um, there's, there's a chance nobody's going to know but me. Anyway, okay. So, anyway, so the, the idea here is, the idea here is sin is sin is sin, but the ramifications of sin are not the same. And this is where we get into ranking sin. And I understand why, because some sins hurt you worse than other sins hurt you, right? So just keep that in your mind. Consider that as you understand uh, the sins of people. You, you have to realize that the sin is the same. It's all a transgression to God, um, but its ramifications, its implications are vastly different. So, so let's deal with these two big sins, right, that James talks about. He says, you're guilty, uh, uh, you're guilty of sin in this. You've committed sin and are convicted by the law of tra- as transgressors. Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, he has become guilty of... Well, that's you're just guilty of what you did. No, you're guilty of all because what are you? You're a transgressor, right? You're a sinner. That's why this is the case. But here, here's... Here is the thing that that should um, do for us. First of all, it levels the playing field. Are you a better sinner than me, Kim? She is. She, she sins way better than I am, <laughs> way better than I do, right? I am no worse, no better than anybody else. That's a hard pill to swallow. I had a neighbor one time. This is not Jerry and Patina. <laughs> so I, I had a neighbor one time. I'm, I'm asking for a friend. Anyway, so I had a neighbor one time, and uh, the neighbor, we, we were having this Bible study, and, and the neighbor said, um, I hope that there is a level system in heaven, because if I have to go to heaven with somebody who has abused or molested children, I can't do it. And my response to that person was, you um, fundamentally misunderstand grace. You fundamentally misunderstand grace. Uh, Make sure you know this. No one will be in heaven that does not repent. No one will be in heaven that does not repent, right? And repentance means turning. But God is willing to forgive everything as far as the east is from the west. The reason why my neighbor didn't want to be in heaven with those people is because he ranked sin. He ranked sin. He thought all sins were not equal. All sins are equal. They still have greater effects. Some do. They do, and it's a painful situation. But we have to understand mercy, okay? So we have an equal playing field here. 
where we all are awful. Be turn to your neighbor and say you're awful. Yeah, I was hoping you guys would do that. Anyway, I have no neighbor up here. I'm awesome. Anyway, so okay. Nathan, you're awful. Yes, you are. Anyway, and right now I'm dealing with a couple personalities. Anyway, so verse ten. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point has become guilty of all. Now what James goes on to talk about here is only for an example. He didn't even want you to zoom in on this. He just wants you to understand something. Uh, He who has said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. But if you commit adultery but don't commit murder, you've still become a transgressor of the law, right? Right? See, it, it doesn't matter. One is not better than the other. But now he just drops the hammer. So he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. That does not mean don't judge anybody and do whatever you want as long as you don't judge people. That's a stupid interpretation. I don't have a problem saying it, right? Instead... Know that you're judged by the law of liberty. That is that God is not partial. That no matter who you are or what you've done, if you will fear him and you will trust him, you can and will be saved. Amen? Awesome, right? So verse 12. So so speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Verse 13. For judgment will be merciless. Take a deep breath, church. Judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So hold on a second, God. You're commanding that I be merciful, which means what I think you should be is merciful no matter what. No matter if I thumb my nose at you or I obey you. God says it's not, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. There will be no mercy. Let's go even further. Judgment will be merciless for those who do not show mercy. So second thing, what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves? To show mercy. Why? Because mercy is better than judgment. You know why it's really better than judgment for us? as judges right did you hear that you suck as judges just wanted to get suck in there three times in a sermon anyway there it was we're to love our neighbor as ourself and what I think that means in my American way of living or my just modern 21st century man way of living is love my neighbor as myself that means hey maybe I'll make sure to keep my uh, lawn clippings out of my neighbor's yard or or maybe I won't throw trash uh, that'll blow over into my neighbor's yard or maybe I'll keep my kids in check while my neighbors are trying to rest in their backyard fine do that do that it's wonderful stuff but you want to know what real loving of your neighbor looks like You show no partiality and you show mercy to them at all times. You know what? You know what's happening in the church most of the time? People go, I'm not showing mercy to you. I will not bear with you for one more second because I don't care. Way to go. Way to go. That's not helpful, right? Sitting there like a curmudgeon because you just don't want to a grump. 
one of the two guys off the Muppets. That's what a curmudgeon is anyway, right? It, sitting there bitter because what really needs to happen from you, and listen, I'm swallowing my own pills here, so please understand that. Sitting there like a curmudgeon because you just don't want to show mercy is only a prison for you. It's only a prison for you. Do you know what mercy and grace are? It's forgiving the unforgivable in other people. Did you know that? Forgiving the unforgivable in other people. If you forgave something that had an excuse, no forgiveness is needed. There was an excuse. It wasn't even a violation. Think about it. Forgiveness, mercy, grace is excusing the unexcusable. It's looking over the sins. This is what God does for each and every one of us, church. So, the idea here becomes that we want to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? We want to do well by other people. Um, we want to obey God. We're looking for ways to do that. And the ways we find to do it are staggering. They say, I'm not allowed to judge you by that cover on that book. I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to care for you just the same way that I care for me. Not the way I care for the other person, but the way I care for me. You see, the, the baseline always comes back to the same thing. That's amazing. The baseline always comes back to me. How would I love me? And I already love me, so I'm going to love you like I love me. I don't want a baseline that shifts. Love your neighbor the way you love this person. The baseline shifts. Love your neighbor like you love that person. The baseline is shifting. Love your neighbor the way you love you. The baseline stays the same, and now you're stuck <laughs> in a glorious way, right? You're stuck. So you love your neighbor as, your, as yourself, and what does that mean? It means you show mercy, and you pour out more mercy, and you love them with more mercy, because mercy triumphs over judgment. 